Welcome to Change the Narrative. I'm your host, J.D. Fuller. I'm Susie Younger. An African-American licensed psychotherapist. I'm also a licensed therapist. We talk about the isms. We talk about the phobias. Anything that marginalizes and oppresses. As a white woman, I ask the questions white people are too afraid to ask. Everything we are not and everything we are is because of fear. Through, Through a mental, mental health lens, Susie and I will have difficult conversations with celebrity guests, political activists, and everyone in between. Our mind will tell us whatever we want to believe, but the truth lives in the body, and that's where change occurs. Are you ready to change the narrative? A big welcome to Phoenix Gibbs, who currently lives in Texas by way of New York City. She is a motivational speaker, affirmations author, and self-embodiment coach for single, free-spirited Aquarius lesbians, helping them to release emotional and mental detachment to help attract the person who will accept them for who they are through self-embodiment. Phoenix is also a wedding officiant and the author of a book called 365 Days of Affirmation for the Mind, Heart, Body, and Spirit, which is an affirmation biography about turning trauma and abuse she experienced into triumph. Phoenix's passion is to help women unleash their full potential and show the world exactly who the F they are with no fear, no excuses, no explanations or apologies. Welcome, Phoenix. All right. So first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. I'm grateful. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. So let's start about talking about where you are from, because I'm getting a whole lot of movement as I start to research who you are. So where are you from originally, like born and raised? (laughs) (laughs) I was born and raised in Harlem, New York. Harlem, uptown. All right. Uptown. And um, my mom sent me to Belize, Central America, when I was two weeks old. Wow. So is your family from Belize? Um, yes, my mother's from Belize and my father's from Haiti. I caught that accent early on. I was like, it's something. It sounds like New York, but there's something else mixed up in there. There we have it. OK, so a child of immigrants, yeah. is it fair to say? Yes, absolutely. OK, OK. So your parents were immigrants. So that's that's a whole other level uh, trying to figure out what it is to be a black American when you come from other countries and you inherit this white supremacy that you didn't really, you didn't know that you were getting, how did that play itself out in your household? Did your parents talk about it or were you in Belize and just came back and it was like, it is what it is. I met my mom when I was four and I thought my grandparents were my parents. And so oh. that was a, a shock for me. And, you had a, you had a bit, wait, wait, let's slow down. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So you met your mom when you were four. Yes. How did they tell you? They were just like, you know, I know that, you know, that we're your, we treated you like as if though we were your parents. We're actually your grandparents and this is your mom and this is your baby sister. And so it was a shock because I was like, wait, what? Who? <laughs> wow. So to meet my mother for the first time at four years old and try to connect with her emotionally and mentally was a lot for me as a child growing up because all I knew was my grandmother, my grandfather, and my aunties and my uncles, because those are the people who raised me, who loved me, who protected me, who made me feel whole and complete so I could be my authentic four-year-old self. And so coming from, from Belize to New York City mm-hmm. was a huge culture shock for me. Yeah. I mean, how did you make sense out of that? I didn't know how to make sense out of it. The first thing that really scared the hell out of me is when we got to JFK airport, got off the plane and I had to get on the escalator and I didn't know what the hell that was. 
Wow. That's, that's really quite amazing. I had this little beautiful pink dress on. It was very froofy. And I'm standing on this stair thing that's moving. And the only thing I could do to not be so scared was to sit down on the escalator. And I ripped my dress. Poor thing. My mother started yelling and screaming. I'm like, what are you doing? You're supposed to stand up on here. And I'm looking at her like, lady, I just got here. I don't know what the hell this is. (laughs) And I don't know who you are. They took me, she took me home. They were in Brooklyn at the time and she had remarried. She, re- she married, not my father. My father, I didn't meet him until I was about seven years old. Okay. And so I met my stepdad and I thought he was my father. And so I had to not only get to know my mother and turn around and meet her husband. And it was just like a, a like, what, where am I? I, was, I felt like I was in a twilight zone actually. Oh my goodness. I can't even imagine. Mm-hmm yearning for my grandparents, yearning for the life that I knew. I was a, a free-spirited child, so I was always walking around barefoot in the yard and Belize, things like that, and I couldn't do that anymore being here and being in New York. I'm just trying to imagine coming from a place like Belize, being plopped down in New York, and not only that, but again, trying to get to know this family that you weren't raised with up until then. Did you have any connection to your grandparents at that time? Yeah. Like, were you still in contact with them? Did you see them? Yeah. Well, they called when they could. My mom tried to make sure she connected me to them, you know, over the phone and stuff, because Belize wasn't at that time very modernized as it is now. Right. Right. Um, That makes sense. We would we would set up phone calls for them to call me at a certain day at a certain time, or my mother would call them at a certain day and time so they can talk to me. So I wouldn't feel alone because I felt very much alone, even though I was with my biological mother. I felt like I didn't know her. I felt like I didn't want to be there because right. it wasn't home. So I always say that one of the best gifts of my life was to experience pure, unconditional love and compassion and protection by my grandparents because once I left Belize and came to New York, my life just was just very much lots of challenges and struggle. Mm-hmm. I went through sexual abuse as a child. I'm so sorry. Thank you. From seven to 14 off and on. Oh um, my God. I'm so sorry. Thank you. It was something that I had to, I'm still learning how to process. Understood. I'm 45 now. And I often talk about it because I know there are little boys and little girls who are suffering in silence, who are silenced, who are hating on themselves because they feel like it's their fault. So I'm actively working with different people that are, have dealt with that specific type of trauma because it's, it's exceptionally hard when you think it's your fault, when you think that the person or people that were supposed to protect you are the same ones that are doing the abuse to you. Right. So it's a lot to- lots of process at the time and I would tell my mom like you should have just left me in Belize because I was safe I was loved I I did all those things you know so it was very hard for me to come here and experience all the things I've experienced because it led me on a very hard and challenging downward spiral in my life Mm -hmm. that makes sense Uh uh-huh I mean that totally makes sense I just want to validate that that's that's unbelievable yeah, so it's a lot of self-forgiveness, self-healing, self-compassion and grace, not beating oneself up, not yeah. trying to be perfect for other people, but definitely living in the truth and speaking about it, being 
exceptionally transparent about the abuse I had to experience or like abuse I, I experienced in learning how to look at each challenge as a gift. So when I'm helping people, they know I completely understand emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually on all levels. Right, right. So what happened with you and the bio parents? Were you able to get through that? Eventually I did because my dad wasn't really in my life when I was young. He was around, but he wasn't around, around. And I had to have a conversation with my father in 2020 because I went through a deep awakening, a spiritual ascension where God and my ancestors showed me parts of myself that still needed healing. And Mm -hmm. one part of that was confronting my dad to let him know how his absence in my life impacted me as a little girl, as a teenager, 20-year-old, 30-year-old, now 40-year-old, and Mm -hmm. what that meant for me. And being able to be uncomfortable, but not caring if he was uncomfortable because I was uncomfortable for 40-something years. So wait, before I get into that, can you come a little bit closer? Because I'm losing you a little bit, and I want to hear every word that you're saying. (laughs) Is this better? Yeah, much better. Yeah. Okay. So then you confronted that. How did you know to do that? Was that through spirituality completely? Was there another tool that you used? I had a lump that kept popping up in my throat when I didn't speak my truth. I didn't speak what I was supposed to say. Mm -hmm. And I was throwing up and I was having anxiety attacks, panic attacks. Mm -hmm. And the one person that kept popping up in my spirit was like, you got to talk to your father. You have to talk to your father. And it was just a lingering record in my, in my brain and in my spirit. So once I spoke to him, that lump in the throat went away. Wow. That's incredible. So then what happened with your journey with mom? What did that look like? My mother, I had to let her know that I definitely resented her for, I felt like she didn't protect me as much as she should have. Right. So we had to have that conversation and it was tough Mm. because, you know, as a mom, you don't want to feel like you failed your kid. So we had to have that conversation. I just had to pretty much just tell her I loved her. And I, the thing about that too, is I thanked her for sending me to Belize at two weeks. So I thanked her for giving me the opportunity to experience pure love and pure protection and compassion by my grandparents, because if I didn't have that gift, I wouldn't be who I am today. That's an amazing gift you gave your mother. Yeah, I had to, because I I couldn't even imagine for her to be a young single mom and for her to give up her child the way she did, like effortlessly say, okay, well, I can't take care of you because I'm not working. I can't provide for you. So the best thing that I can do is send you to my parents because I know you'll be in good hands. Okay. Yeah, that's a great reframe. And I mean, the fact that you had the the childhood trauma that you had, and even though she couldn't take care of you as a baby, she sent you to Belize, you came back in a sense, she still couldn't take care of you and protect you in the way that, that you needed to be protected. So she still had the burden, even though she didn't you know, take care of you from birth. She still had the burden of realizing that I still didn't protect the child that I have even uh, upon her return. So it was gracious of you to offer her that gift. How did she receive it? She received it very well. And she said, you know, she did the best that she could. And what I learned and realized is that 
I had to learn how to give my parents grace and compassion because they only knew what they knew. And on top of that, too, our parents really don't talk about their traumas. They don't talk about their stories. They don't talk about their challenges. They just wing it day by day Mm -hmm. as parents. Every day they feel like either they're doing the best for their kids or they're failing their kids. Mm -hmm. So I I had to learn how to not be angry Mm -hmm. at her per se, (laughs) but to put myself in her shoes of just like, how would I have handled that situation? Because everyone has a different experience and I can't take away her experience from her. That's a blessing. That's really a blessing. And you're, you also, I'm guessing, don't know how her parents raised her. Did you have access to that information or was she able to share that later on? Because, you know, a lot of grandparents do a lot better with their grandkids than they did their own, their own children. (laughs) My grandmother was very hard on her children as well as her siblings because she was the oldest. Of, okay. I, I don't even know how many. I know my grandparents had 18 children. That my had what? Wait, say what? 18. One eight. One eight. <laughs> Whoa. So they raised their kids. And when they got older, they, when their children got older and got married and such, they helped, helped to raise some of the grandchildren as well. So. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> My mom was the second oldest girl and she had to come out of high school because she had to help my grandparents cook and clean and take care of her siblings. It's all making sense now. It's all making sense now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I remember one time having a conversation with my grandmother. I think she was like 86 and she said, mija, daughter or mijita, little daughter. As you can tell, I speak Spanish. Yes. Um, The things I know now in my life, if I knew back then, I would have. And then she got silent. And that let me know that my grandmother only identified as a mother, a wife and a grandmother. And she had so many dreams that she wishes she could have fulfilled, but because of fear and because of what was placed on her growing up, she didn't give herself the opportunity to do so. And she died with regret of so many things that she could have done in her life. That explains a lot of the fire you have. Mm -hmm. You've seen a lot of regret. Yeah. 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 So then, go ahead, no, finish. And my mom saying, I felt the same thing with my mother. And I think for me, watching the women in my family, plus having a near-death experience taught me I can't do shoulda, coulda, woulda in my life. Can't do it. Well, the legacy of regret is enough to inform anyone's journey if you're paying attention. But then let's get back to the near-death experience because that happened before 2011. Correct? Mm-hmm. In 2011, it happened 2011. It happened in 2011. Okay. So how, how did you lead up to it? What was your life looking like before you had that experience? I was um, a creator of a fashion production company in New York City, and I wanted to change the whole stigma on um, fashion. So I had different women, all shapes, heights, and sizes, who I was mentoring, empowering, and encouraging about body positivity. Mm -hmm. That led to me not really taking care of myself because I was being a mommy and a coach and a mentor and a runaway coach to everyone else. And I ended up feeling really, really sick one day, ended up going to the hospital and found that I was pregnant, but I couldn't, the the babies couldn't develop because the fiber was growing so massive. And so the fiber- Yeah, it was, it was growing so big. And I didn't know because the fiber was behind my uterus. I had two miscarriages and a stillborn prior, like in my 20s. I am so uh, sorry. 
Thank you. So they did a DNC to take out the empty sack because there was no babies. And that led to the fibroid becoming infected. And I didn't realize it was, I was having a really bad infection. And so the fibroid became septic and I was in the hospital 11 days and they had all these different antibiotics in and out my, my system. Nothing seemed to be working. And that's when I was on the deathbed, shoulda, coulda, woulda, and I didn't. I should have taken care of my body better. I should have said the things that I wanted to say. I should have did the things I wanted to do. I should have said no. I should have mm. stopped people pleasing. Like all the things you could possibly think of when you're on your deathbed, that was me. That was so me. You, I've heard you mention people pleasing a couple of times. So for you, I just want to summarize for you, it was not taking care of yourself and doing for others. Is that right? Correct. Okay. And as we know, people pleasing is not as selfless as it seems. It's often you're trying to fill a cup that's empty. So you do, do, do trying to get this gratification that never actually comes. And so you deplete yourself. That's what I hear you saying. Absolutely. Just to sum it right up. Accurate. (laughs) Okay. Okay. All right. So then, all right. So now timeline. So you get out of this situation after 11 days, were you feeling more like yourself? What did that look like for you? Um, I had to have emergency surgery on the 13th day. They removed five fibroids on the outside. And three weeks later, my ex-husband found me toppled on the floor. My gallbladder was damaged beyond repair. So I had to go in to have a second surgery while still healing from the first surgery. I can't even breathe right now. I need a minute. Okay. You're back in the hospital. You're getting the gallbladder. I'm guessing you have a scar like I do because back in the day, they didn't do one of those nice little scars. So oh, I, I had a cute little scar because. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I was actually planning my wedding on my deathbed because me and my ex-husband were getting married August 20th. So the first surgery was July 8th. The second surgery was August 2nd. And then I got married August 20th. Oh, my goodness, man, you didn't waste any time with all that was going on. That was so much. How how did you manage to pull that off? What was the motivation behind making it happen that quickly? Um, August 20th is a very significant day for me. My brother Mm -hmm. that was 20 years old passed away, drive-by shooting, wrong place, wrong time on August 20th. And um, his spirit came to me when I was choosing my wedding date. And so mm. that was a very significant day for me. So that makes I sense. had him in mind while mm-hmm. I was struggling and overcoming all these different experiences that I went through. And even on my wedding day, it was fight or flight in my brain. Mm. I wasn't present at all. It was like... First, let me say that I'm, I'm so sorry uh, that you, you lost your brother. Um, that's extremely sad. And I also understand trying to turn his tragedy into part of your celebration. Mm -hmm. That makes perfect sense to me. Mm -hmm. And the day of the wedding, something in your body said, this is not what I should be doing, but you went forward because it sounds like you were not quite out of that people pleasing place. Is that fair to say? Okay. That is fair to say. And I didn't realize that something shifted in my spirit when Mm. when I went through that negative experience. And I say that because my 
ex-husband would be like, hey, I think you're a lesbian. You're a closet lesbian. The way you look at women. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. She she was like, babe, like, you look. I'm like, so why? Oblivious. <laughs> so I started questioning myself after we got, we had gotten married. And I went to him and I was like, you know what? I think you're right. I'm not sure. But I think I want to explore that side of myself. And he was like, you know what? I've been there, done that. He's a, a little while older than me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. He understood. And he was mm-hmm. like, yeah, you go ahead. And if that's how you feel. And, and yeah. And I ended up meeting this woman and we always were honest with each other. So that was never an issue. Mm-hmm. And so he knew. And the first time kissed her, the first time I was with her, it was just like, yep. Mm-hmm. This is it right here. <laughs> so that person was my the first person I was with first woman I was with and he knew about it because I've always done things in my home I never did did things outside my home Mm -hmm. so we did the poly thing for a while and the second person I was with the more I was with her I was just like damn like this doesn't feel right and so I had to make a conscious decision to love him enough to let him go so mm. he can find love, authentic love, mm. a person who's going to love him entirely. And he accepted it. He was only mad because he told me that the person I was with at the time was not worthy of me. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. So he saw through it. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. My ex-husband and I, we are still great friends till this day. Um, He did find an amazing woman to love him and you know, uh, he talked um, in 2018. And I told him, can you please thank her for me? And I'm grateful to her for loving you the way that you deserve. And my heart is sad for him because he just lost her to cancer uh, last uh, month. Oh, that's so sad. So, mm-hmm. so he's been in your life because you had this authentic connection and you never disrespected it, it sounds like. Yeah. See, you know, people don't understand it. People don't understand the importance of of honesty and authenticity. It's underestimated. I mean, this is a perfect example of when you're honest, you know, and authentic, people respond to that and the connection remains. That's Mm -hmm. that's pretty that's pretty amazing. That I mean it's still a love story, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like it never you and your ex-husband never stopped Mm -hmm. being a love story, it sounds like. Yeah, very generous with each other. Okay, so then go ahead. We were very generous with each other to the point that my mom still lives in New York. So she actually went to the funeral on my behalf to be there for him, to give him support. Oh, that's awesome. Being that I'm a psychic medium, his girlfriend that passed away actually tapped into my heart space. I was able to connect him with her through spirit. He was able to get some closure that he needed and um, release guilt that he was feeling from just different things that she was showing me that only I, I wouldn't even know. Okay. So Man, was he surprised? Was he surprised at that though? Or yeah, I bet. That would blow that would blow me away. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't know what to do with that. <laughs> he showed me a pair of brown shoes. I was like, what's going on with these brown shoes? He, he was like, she likes all my shoes. I'm like, no, there's a specific brown shoe she showed me. He was like, Oh my God, I bought some Colhan brown wingtip shoes yesterday. I'm like, oh, that would be the shoes. And I said, What does it deal with water? she like water like this water and he started laughing and he said well her birthday 
which was last week, Saturday, her family and him were at Myrtle Beach and they were going to spread her ashes through Myrtle Beach. So, and I didn't realize she liked water. He was like, she loved the water. I'm like, I know she keeps showing me water. And I'm like, does she like to talk a lot because she's just up there just talking about you and how much you loved her. And he started cracking up. He was like, yeah, she talked. And he goes, can I ask you a question? I was like, sure. And then he asked me, why doesn't she visit me in my dreams? And I heard her loud and clear and said, she said, the reason why I don't visit you in your dreams is because I know that you want to go with me and it's not your time. Dang. That's deep. Mm -hmm. How did you receive that? He was like, you're you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And he, you know, was upset and he was like, you know, that was the love of my life and it's not fair and it's not right. And, you know, does she know that I did everything that I supposed to do i heard her say fit for a queen i said fit for a queen he just laughed and then he cried and he was like yeah her fit of her was fit for a queen i'm like yeah she appreciates the fact that you honored all of her requests and he said he felt guilty because he wasn't in the room when she took her last breath and i said she didn't want you to be there she knew that it was too much for you was so. he relieved after that he was definitely relieved after that. And he went to Myrtle Beach and they did the whole thing and everything. And, you know, I could see on Facebook that he still speaks to her. You know, hey, honey, please help me pray that the Mets win. Or, hey, honey, please help me that the Knicks uh, are really going out all your way out of this craziness here. <laughs> <laughs> I check up on him and I send some love and light and, you know, um, that yeah. he finds his way. And I, I let him know, I said, she's going to send someone to you in time. And this person that she's sending to you also lost her spouse. And he was like, it's so funny you say that because the grief counseling group I'm in on Facebook, I did connect with someone who did lose her spouse. I said, well, that the person, it may be in time. I said, but just keep your heart open. She's going to send someone to you because she knows that you deserve it. What a beautifully sad story. You know, it's it's beautiful and it's also just incredibly sad at the same time. He is finding his way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That's really that's really sweet. So let I'm going to shift gears a little bit and talk about the evolution. All right. So what point did you realize I'm not people pleasing anymore? That's it. It's not not all it's cut. It's it's broadcast to be. When did it was it a was it a click? What, what shifted for you or what was the catalyst for the shift? Like I said, in 2020, I had a, a really, really deep awakening process. My ancestors who I work with and connect with showed me parts of myself that needed healing. And that was one part. And they gave me this innate desire to write. And what I was writing was I wrote down the people who treated me like an option and the people who treated me as priority. And the, uh, the options list outweighed the priority list. Mm. So I had to start cleaning house and I had to mourn the loss of all these people emotionally and mentally. Okay. And I realized I was entertaining one-sided relationships, which was based on me listening to everyone when they called or needed something or needed to bitch vent and complain and I'm on the receiving end, just being dumped on. And then when they get off the phone, it's like, oh my God, I feel so much lighter now. And I'm over here like the people. <laughs> so <laughs> I had to block people, block numbers, block face. I actually changed my whole Facebook because my legal name is Dillis. 
Okay. And my Ascension spiritual name that was gifted to me by the most beautiful Egyptian goddess Isis, who is my spiritual mother, who I work with, she named me Phoenix in 2021. And she said I was making some healing bracelets and I heard emerge from the ashes like the Phoenix, you are my beloved daughter. Oh, that's beautiful. Who? Like, what? <laughs> she said it again. I'm like, ooh, okay. And so that's how the name Phoenix came about. So I had to clean house, like literally clean house. Mm-hmm. Doing it till this day, cleaning house. Yeah, yeah. You totally shifted your energy. Okay, so is that the point in which was it? Was it 2020 or 2021 when you took on the self embodiment coach? being a motivational speech, uh, speaker who also officiates weddings, does yes. readings. Did this all happen in 2020 or 2021? Or t- Talk about that. It started in 2018, 2019, because I had this feeling that I had to leave New York City because I was in New York City for a, a while and I was in corporate America. And I remember one day walking up the subway stairs and I had this sadness overcome me. And I just felt like I was mourning something, but I didn't realize I was going to, I was mourning the loss of my, what's soon to be old life. Mm. And I moved to Savannah. My, Savannah was put in my heart. And two days before I left to move to Savannah, a, a friend of mine called and she was a priestess. And I didn't realize she was a priestess at the time. And she was like, yo, Dillis, like I had a dream about you that you're going to go to Savannah. And your ancestors will be waiting for you. She said, when you get to your apartment, I want you to sage your apartment and place a glass of water and a candle for them and invite them in. So I was like, okay, cool. Had no idea what the hell this was going on, but I'm like, all right, you, you say this, I'm going to do it. Okay. And I did. she requested and I said, okay, guys, you can come in. This is my space. This is your space. I felt three emotional, energetical, spiritual hugs that brought me to tears. Never experienced anything like that in my life, ever. And I was there like, what in the flying, what? <laughs> no idea. And I started feeling things and hearing things and seeing things. And I wasn't scared, which shocked the hell out of me. Because I'm like, what in the hell? That's when my journey began. Like the journey of self, the journey of learning that I'm a priestess, oracle, healer, light worker, all that stuff. That's when that started happening. I, I had no idea. And okay. I'm not taught as, in, as a sense of having a spiritual teacher or a guide or something. All of the things that I've learned was something that was uh, I was spiritually fed into. My ancestors, goddess Isis, my archangels, my angels, my grandparents, because they've passed, they long passed, mm. um, trained me, educated me from a spiritual sense. That's an unbelievable story. I don't know that I wouldn't have been afraid. Yeah, it's, because <laughs> <laughs> um, people ask me all the time, you ain't scared. I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't have the innate, it's, you know what it is? It's not fear for me. It's, it's gratitude. I'm grateful that I'm chosen. I'm grateful that they trust me enough to come to me. I'm grateful that I'm able to stand on their shoulders. I'm grateful to break generational curses. I'm grateful to, to create a different legacy. I'm grateful to make sure that all of the things that they experience in their lives does not go in vain. 
Mm-hmm. I totally get what, you, what you're saying. And I joke with saying being afraid. I don't know that I wouldn't be, but I also understand the ancestral message and I understand the legacy and I, I feel that very deeply. So I can relate on that level for sure. So I, I thank you for sharing that. So you talk about something else. You talk about being unapologetic. I know what that means for me and it's come with great consequences, um, both amazing consequences and also not so amazing consequences. So talk about what being unapologetic has meant for you. Being unapologetic for me is dancing to the beat of my own drum, not conforming, um, being liberated in who I am and who I want to be. If I want to move to another country, I'll just be like, screw it, I'm going to do it. it. It means speaking my truth and using my voice. It means not having to water down myself, not holding myself back because of what people will say feel. I've mm-hmm. learned that over time in my life, between family and friends alike, I've always been the talk of the time. Anything I did or said was just like, oh my God, look at what she's doing now, or you're unstable, or you're crazy, or you're never going to amount to anything, or you're always going to be in you know, failed relationships, or you don't know who you are, and you keep jumping from job to job, and you keep doing this and keep doing... It's always been that way in my life. And it's like, I can show you better than I can tell you. Okay. For me, writing my book, which is, this is my second book, being able to just be present and be able to be in different platforms at different settings and create different things in my life, regardless of how scared I was, the one constant for me was Mm -hmm. live life to the best of my ability. Mm -hmm. Okay. I almost died. And to me, that's like, I'm, a, I'm, I'm living my second chance at life and I don't want to waste it. I don't want to waste it. So that's where being unapologetic comes from because I know what it feels like to do the shoulda, coulda, woulda dance with self. And right. I, I cannot imagine people, every minute of the day, someone's taking their last breath. And before they take their last breath, they have two choices. They think about the regret or they think about all that they did. Either they die in peace or they die with a broken heart. I don't want to be that person. That's powerful. So let's talk about the book. You said you did two books, but I only know of one. So talk about each of them, would you? Sure. The first book is called Your Life, Your Purpose, No Explanations. Okay. And I wrote that in 2013. And it's so funny because I remember my ex-husband and myself, we went to Puerto Rico. And at the time, I didn't realize I was very spiritually gifted and I had a vision that I was going to meet an old woman in Puerto Rico and she was going to change my life Mm -hmm. I'm looking for this old woman like where the hell this crazy ass old woman is what the hell (laughs) and I didn't realize the old woman was a spirit and so Mm -hmm. I went to the ruins in Puerto Rico and old San Juan it was closed and then a police officer was like you have to go that way to get to where you want to get to I said okay and I came upon this ugly ass pink Pepto-Bismol house. I was like, what is that? That's just nasty. And it was a museum. So something told me, come in. So I went into a museum and it was a picture of this beautiful woman. Her name was Doña Fela Rincón. And Doña Fela, as I was told, was the first mayor, female mayor of Puerto Rico. Oh. And okay. she loved children. And she was not, she was never had kids and she traveled and she saw the world. And as the tour guide was telling me about Doña Fela, Doña Fela hugged me and she was able to allow wow. me to experience how much love and compassion she had for the people of Puerto Rico. 
And wow. I started bawling in the museum, like, <laughs> and my ex-husband was looking at me like, what the hell's wrong with you? Did you smoke something? I, I didn't know about like, what? And I was like, no, I just feel she, and I was just bawling. And so the tour guide was also a psychic medium. And she was like, Doña Fela says that your story is meant to be told. You need to write your book. So I was like, what book? I don't just talk about, and I got back to New York <laughs> and I said, Donia Fela, if this is what you need me to do, you need to help me write this book. And I kid you not, I felt, I felt like I was in a trance and I just started typing and I wrote my book within a year, my first book. Wow, and that's amazing. Yeah, it was. I Because I, even with my second book, sometimes when I read affirmations, I don't remember writing this damn book. Wow. Okay. It's like my ancestors were just like, I'm writing and they're just giving me all of the, the wisdom and, and the power and everything that's in me. I don't remember writing it because I'll be like, okay, give me an affirmation for one to 365 and somebody be like 292. And I'm like, oh my God, that's powerful. Did I write that? Or they'll send me a, <laughs> a picture like this affirmation stood out to me and blah, blah. And I'm like, that's cool. But what, what is that? They were like, that's your book. I was like, oh, okay. I <laughs> So, so let's talk about the second book. Show, show the, uh, show the book, would you? Sure. Okay. And talk about it a little bit. So the second book came out because. <laughs> second book came in 2015, 2014, 2015. I was writing affirmations to myself because I was struggling with coming out and mm. I was struggling with going through the process of leaving the ex-husband being with the girlfriend, what people are going to say, blah, 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 the chatter. And I started writing affirmations and I was like, you know what, maybe my affirmations probably help somebody else that may be going through a, a different challenge, the same challenge. I don't know. My mm -hmm. spirit was like, just posted on Facebook. So every day I would create an affirmation and I would post it on Facebook. And I did that from 2014 to 2017. What a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> And by 2017, when I was about to move to Savannah, my spirit was like, copy and paste every affirmation you've ever created, email it to yourself. And I was like, what? Okay. I did that. By 2019, I was cleaning out my Gmail and I found affirmation book. And I'm like, what the hell is that? When I opened it, it was 187 affirmations I'd written. What a great idea. <laughs> I didn't realize and all of the affirmations are based on an emotion, trauma, or struggle, or challenge I experienced, and I just flipped it into an affirmation. So the name of the book is 365 Days of Affirmation for the Mind, Heart, Body, and Spirit, yes. right? Mm -hmm. And Okay, so where can people find both of your books? Um, both books are on Amazon. However, this book is Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, and Walmart online. Everything is online-based. Okay. All right. And tell everyone where they can find you. What are your handles and, and where can they find you to learn more about you? Because this was just a snippet and we could do so much more. So I, I want to give them an opportunity to follow you. Thank you. SelfEmbodimentPhoenix.com. That is my website. If you go to Phoenix Gibbs or Phoenix Sky on social media, you'll find me. I'm there. Okay. So that's all my right. social media. Mm -hmm. Great. Do you have a link tree set up or not? Link tree. So it's link tr.ee slash Phoenix Gibbs. 
Okay, perfect. All right. So look, it's clear your journey has been incredible. And like I said, this is just a snippet. First of all, I want to thank you for coming on and sharing space with me. I really, you're delightful. And uh, you're a great storyteller. Your life definitely sends messages to everyone who's had any part of your struggle. So thank you for being so authentic and transparent. I really do appreciate that. That means a lot to me. So that, that's first. First is the gratitude. And then second, you know what? I want to think of, you've done so much already. I want to think about where, where, where will you be in five years? Like, what, what's that going to look like? <laughs> five years, I want to have my own healing sanctuary for people who've been through trauma and abuse. And I want to be able to have elevated and risen as far as I can rise as a priestess, as a phoenix, and be able to tap in so powerfully in my spiritual awakening that I'm able to just sense, feel, and hear when someone's experiencing something so I can help them with the utmost authenticity in me and be able to connect even more deeply with my guides, my spirit guides. Amazing, man. I believe you'll do it too. So on the show, I like to have people kind of decide for themselves what changing the narrative looks like through their lens. So I want to give you the final word and just tell me what does changing the narrative mean to you? Changing the narrative means to me is being committed to shift and change wholeheartedly in all aspects of your life, because if you want better, you have to do better. So being committed wholeheartedly to changing all aspects of yourself, breaking patterns and habits, that you know that that's not working for you. And right. don't be afraid to be uncomfortable, thrive in being, being in, in uncomfortable, thrive in it. You know, I like to say uh, comfort's overrated. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> And say I have a PhD in being uncomfortable. <laughs> That's good. I like that a lot. All right, Phoenix, your beautiful spirit. Thank you again so much for, for sharing space. Hopefully you'll come back in the future and let us know what's going on. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm grateful for you. Thank you for, you know, creating this platform for being who you are and everything that you're doing and your gift to the world. And I celebrate you as well. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye. JD and I want to thank our fabulous producers at I Am Music Group. And for all of you out there who want to do your own podcast, go to IamMusicGroup.com and the team will hit you back. Please be sure to like, subscribe, and follow wherever you get your podcasts. And also, leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Thank you for listening to Change the Narrative with JD Fuller.